Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Mainline, where we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Philadelphia's historic mainline and surrounding communities. Every week, we look again to the story of the Bible, the lavish grace of God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website, libertymainline.org. This Advent uh, season, we've been studying the story of Ruth, a widowed immigrant who found a home in Bethlehem in the family that would eventually birth both King David and the son of David, the son of God, Jesus. So I invite you to follow along as we listen to the living word of the living God for us today. This is Ruth chapter four. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabite the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of of a legally binding transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Gilead, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who are at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. 
the neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for understanding this passage. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for the preservation of this family drama, which uh, you orchestrated in such a way so that you bring ultimately the healing of the nations and the birth of your son. Father, in this season, may we see the ways in which uh, what you have done in Jesus speaks to and enters into each of our particular life stories and sweeps us up into something much bigger than ourselves. And we thank that through Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation with you. We have the hope of a world made new. And we pray that you would help us to be recipients of that grace and those who also are agents of it, ambassadors of your hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. During the holiday season, many of us spend time together with our families, and for some of us, that makes the holiday season a wonderful and joyful season. But it can also sometimes be costly and inconvenient as we bundle bursting luggage into our vehicles with screaming children during potentially treacherous drives in winter weather. And then beyond that, for some of us, the holiday season is painful in a far more profound way. Some of us are intensely lonely, perhaps because we don't have family around us. And that distance may be temporary, it might be long-term, it may be permanent, either caused by a separation or an estrangement or a bereavement. For some of us, the holidays are a sad reminder of the empty spots around the family table that once were filled, or that our humble celebrations remind us that we do not have the family of our own that we long for or has not grown in the way that we wish. In our passage this morning, we see a similar group of hurting individuals, vulnerable people, that God then crafts into a new family that speaks hope and, uh, hope and healing into our hurting hearts. So this morning, as we look at this last chapter in the story of Ruth, we're going to see how each of these individuals is struggling with their particular hurt, how God then makes them a family through a redeemer, and then how that family story becomes our own family story through a redeemer. We cannot truly appreciate the happy ending of Ruth without also appreciating the heartache of each of the individuals in the story. And we've touched on some of these points, but not all of them, as we look at Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. So a quick review of Naomi. She experienced this series of gut-wrenching losses. Uh, she had famine, migration, the death of her husband and her two sons. She's left widowed and childless in a society where women were supported by a father, a husband, or a son. And as we saw a few weeks ago, her hardship is at least partially self-inflicted. Yes, there was a famine in Judah. God had promised judgments like that for the kinds of stomach-churning injustice and immorality that we learned were unfolding in Israel in this period of history. But God also promised renewed blessings in response not to immigration, but for repentance. 
And in her particular family's story, their relocation was not an admirable example of industrious self-improvement as it often is today. For them, it was an act of unbelief that they did not believe that God's judgments would relent or that he would renew his blessings in light of his people's repentance. Even though that is what does eventually happen and what brings Naomi back home. And yet through all of this, what was her response? Did she acknowledge uh, the choices that she had made and the way they had contributed to her present situation? No, when she gets home, she just blames God. She's angry with him for being against her. And many of us are like Naomi. We're bitter at God. How could you have put me in this situation? How could you have let all of this happen to me? And you might be here, you might be thinking, well, my theology is too good to get angry at God. So if you're like me, you don't get angry at God, you just get angry at your circumstances, right? Which is a great passive aggressive way to kind of blame God on the sly. Uh, And it's so often the case for us, Naomi's bitterness then gets vented at those closest to her. So Ruth is something of an innocent bystander who gets sucked into the chaos of Naomi's family. Some of us might be able to relate with that in our own families. Uh, And as a result, she experiences her own share of sorrow. So she and her first husband, Malin, are infertile, and then he dies. She, She is given a free pass by Naomi to leave, and then her loyalty is rewarded by cold indifference from her mother in law And then upon their arrival, she's the one who provides for both of them. While Naomi is immobilized at home, not only by age, but also by depression and bitterness. And we see that this individual who's suffering is a person not only of great moral strength, but also great physical strength, as she twice lugs home bags of grain. They're probably the size of a couple bags of ice melt, um, which suggests that she's probably built a little bit more like a rugby forward than a figure skater. And throughout... She remains respectful to Naomi despite the fact that her mother-in-law keeps putting her in these incredibly dangerous and compromising circumstances. In small town Bethlehem, Ruth was notorious. Even in the, the passage we read this morning, you see she's referred to over and over and over and over again as Ruth the Moabite, emphasizing that she's not from here and she's from someplace we don't really like to talk about. In our passage, the unnamed closer relative cannot back away from her fast enough when Boaz springs on him the obligation of marrying Ruth. Clearly, others were not nearly as enamored with her as Boaz was. Which actually brings us to Boaz's own story, one we've probably talked about the least up to this point. On one hand, he's pretty impressive. He's a godly man. He's a wealthy landowner. He has a great relationship with his employees, He's a member, respected member of his community, but he also appears to be an older man with no family of his own. There's no real explanation of why that is. Uh, we can only guess. Perhaps he had been unlucky in love. He may have lost a wife in his own youth and been himself a widower. Or perhaps some other obstacle made him an undesirable suitor, preventing him from establishing a family of his own. The genealogy of Matthew's gospel actually indicates that Boaz's mother was Rahab, a non-Israelite and a former prostitute, and perhaps that association contributed to his own singleness. What we see throughout these three lives are sorrow, suffering, loneliness, and heartache. 
pain that's being endured relatively well by Ruth and Boaz and not so well by Naomi. And ultimately, it's a heartache that God overcomes by knitting them together into a new family through the work of a redeemer. Uh, we have these individuals re uh, referred to as family redeemers, and understanding that position in ancient Israelite culture is a little difficult for us because we have adopted this language. We often sing and celebrate of Christ our redeemer, and yet we don't have somebody who fills the office of redeemer. We have mayors and councilmen. We don't have somebody who fills the office of redeemer in everyday life. It's as if we refer to Jesus not only as a lion and a lamb, but also as some distinct, uh, uh, extinct animal. And so without the original, the significance of the metaphor is lost for us. So what was the work of a redeemer in the days of Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi? We see it in the passage that when somebody falls into poverty, one of the things that a redeemer would do is to provide financial assistance. And that's actually the part that Boaz leads with that he provide, that this near family relative provide Naomi with liquid assets by purchasing a field from her. But ancient peoples also valued not only the well-being and preservation of individuals, but also the well-being and the preservation of families and legacies. So another expectation would be that uh, a redeemer would enter a leveret marriage where you'd marry the childless widow of a deceased relative in order to bear children who would continue the family name and the name of the dead individual in the history of Israel. Now, as this relative's response demonstrates, that was a really big commitment. He's really excited about buying the field, especially since there's no heir. Perhaps he gets to keep it permanently. Uh, but while financial aid may cost capital, he'd benefit from the acquisition of the property. But marrying Ruth is a whole other matter entirely. If children are born to her, you can see that he's concerned about it complicating the inheritance legacy of his uh, children. Plus, there would be the stigma of association with a Moabite woman. And as I've suggested, there's good odds that Ruth was not necessarily a runway model uh, in terms of uh, being gorgeous. While Boaz is enamored with her character, the response of the other redeemer shows that not everyone is equally captivated by her. And to protect his own family interests, the closer relative declines the opportunity to act as a redeemer. The uh, ceremony with the sandal may actually have kind of been an opportunity to shame the individual for not stepping up in the way that they should have done. Ironically, his strategy totally backfires. He's unwilling to incur the cost of perpetuating the name and legacy of a relative, and it's actually his name that ends up being forgotten. There's an unusually high percentage of named individuals in the Book of Ruth. You have Elimelech, Malin, and Killian, even though they're dead within a few pair, uh, sentences. Then you have Ruth and Orpah. You have uh, Naomi and Boaz. But the one man in the story who tries to protect his own name is the one whose name is lost. And in fact, when Boaz calls him aside at the start of the chapter, he calls him a rhyming Hebrew nonsense phrase that's usually not translated. And most commentators suggest it is something like Mr. So-and-so. So Mr. So-and-so's reticence to intervene 
ultimately just removes the last obstacle for Boaz to fulfill his promise to Naomi and Ruth. He accepts the possible costs, whether to his finances or to his reputation. And as he accepts those costs, we actually see in the story that he is far, uh, he is blessed out of all proportion to the costs that he takes to himself. So in his own lifetime, he receives an excellent wife in Ruth. She may be poor. She might be from the wrong group of people. And she probably won't win beauty pageants. But her integrity and her work ethic are impeccable. And to underscore the point, in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth was often relocated and put after the book of Proverbs so that her story would come immediately after the story of the excellent and industrious wife in Proverbs 31. And then in response to their marriage, we see Boaz isn't shunned or rejected. He's actually blessed by his community. And he receives a legacy that far transcends his own life as he joins and continues the family that leads to David, the great king of Israel, as well as centuries later, the son of David, Jesus, the Messiah of humanity. So we have God working uh, to bless Boaz for acting as a redeemer. And then we also see how he blesses Ruth and Naomi through the work of a redeemer. In Ruth's case, the young widow finds a husband The barren woman brings forth a son. God's intervention is highlighted in this in verse 13. The Lord gave her conception. Uh, Though her marriage with Malin produced no child, God grants her a marriage, uh, a child through her marriage to Boaz. And then the excluded Moabite is engrafted into God's people. Perhaps most miraculously, in the eyes of some of us, God even restores to some measure, her degree, her relationship with her mother-in-law. This is perhaps um, the, where we especially see the work of the Holy Spirit in the passage. Uh, as the story closes, Ruth's son Obed alleviates Naomi's previous grief. And yet, as we read it, we see that Naomi is still struggling to appreciate Ruth herself. And the women of Bethlehem who sort of sing to celebrate uh, this moment in the life of their family, in verse 15, their uh, blessing almost sounds like they're chiding Naomi a little bit of not losing sight of Ruth in the midst of her joy for her grandson. They say, your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to this beloved grandson. At the end of the story, despite all of the things God's done in her life, Naomi is still a work in progress like most of us are. But the story of her life testifies to God actually intervening and overturning the consequences of many of her poor decisions in order to bring about her rescue and redemption. At some level, uh, we see that the work of a redeemer is simply to bring hope to the hopeless through personal sacrifice, to bring hope to the hopeless through personal sacrifice. And that highlights for us that this story is about a lot more than this one family in Bethlehem. God weaves their family into the story of their nation, as we see at the end, where it ends with a genealogy uh, that Obed is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David, who would eventually be the one that God raises to the throne of Israel, the father of a dynasty of kings that lasted centuries, 
so that by the grace of God, Ruth became a mother of kings. Which may explain one of the curious features of the story. When uh, Obed is born, the women celebrate that Naomi is not left without a redeemer. But in their blessing, who is the redeemer that they're giving thanks for? Their focus actually, as much as Boaz has served as a redeemer, the women are celebrating Obed. They're celebrating the child. Why is that? At one level, children and grandchildren bring joy and renewal. As the women say to Naomi, her grandson will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And remember that Boaz may very well be of the generation of Naomi. And so it's possible that Naomi and Ruth will outlive him. And Obed may literally grow up to provide for and care for his grandmother and mother in his place. Also, even more simply, he softens her heartache following the losses that she's experienced. But there's also a piece where Obed, the child, uh, points beyond himself. Children can brighten life, but they don't always. There can be a sick child or a struggling adult child or a lost child that can haunt a parent's heart, even like Naomi's lost sons. Sometimes we as parents can cloud our relationships with our child by literally expecting him or her to be our ultimate redemption, demanding that she validate us by her achievements or that, he, that or we crush him with our expectations. And yet there's this near universal yearning for a child which is rooted in the very first unconditional promise that God gives to humanity that through a child born of a woman, evil will be undone. A child promise that is passed down from Adam and Eve to the family of Abraham through all of the tumultuous family dysfunction of Jacob and Judah, through Boaz and Ruth, through David and his sons until it's ultimately fulfilled in the son of David who's born in Bethlehem, Jesus the fulfillment of a promise that through a child, God will undo the evil of the world. He comes to do for hurting individuals and broken families all around the world what Boaz does for Naomi and Ruth, to act as the redeemer, the one who brings hope to the hopeless through personal sacrifice because evil surrounds us still, whatever our situation. Jesus is the redeemer of those who, like Ruth, may be a modern-day Moabite, an outsider or an undesirable or sometimes the innocent bystander who simply inherits or marries into a multi-generational legacy of family dysfunction. Jesus is the redeemer of those who, like Naomi, are familiar with God and part of a legacy or family of faith, perhaps raised within a church, but still prone to distrust God and to go our own way a redeemer for those who may even now be enduring consequences of our own poor decisions. And Jesus is also the redeemer of those of us who, like Boaz, may be living a life of quiet obedience while enduring the continued absence of certain of life's blessings for reasons that are unknown to us. He is the redeemer, 
even though the Son of God is as far away from us as heaven is from earth, he's the one who made himself our relative by becoming a human being. He did not step away from us, beg off uh, acting. Instead, he sacrificially assumed the immense cost of our rescue. Even though he knew it would involve accepting our evil reputation imputed to him, he paid our debt in blood and the torment of hell. And through that, he has grafted us together into a family and into his family. Why is Ruth included and highlighted in the family line of Jesus for the same reason that any of the ancestors of Jesus are highlighted and included? To remind us that no one is too far removed from God that we can't be folded back into his family through Jesus. To remind us that whatever the heartaches are that we encounter, he is able to redeem them for his glory and for our good. Because we, if we trust God's good promise to us that Jesus is our redeemer, the story of Ruth is now actually our own family history. Through Jesus, God is now not only our God, but our father. Jesus is the elder brother who joyfully brings us in to share his inheritance with him. And from time to time, God enables us to reflect him just a little bit like he does in the person of Boaz, enabling us to sacrificially serve those around us so that we might mirror to our family and to our friends and to our neighbors in small but important ways the kindness God has shown to us in Jesus. So we join this season in rejoicing in song just as the women of Bethlehem did. Blessed is the Lord who has not left us without a redeemer. What else could we do but join them this season in the choruses of Bethlehem and sing of our redeemer? This is the good news to us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank and praise you for the ways in which the gospel stories of the birth of Jesus lead so many people to burst in song. You speak into our sorrow, and you give us hope and new life in him. And we pray, Father, that as you have come, as you are God, Emmanuel, God with us, may you please speed the return of Jesus to make all things new so that we might be in your presence forevermore. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that either through or in spite of the human messenger, you heard the gracious invitation of God to the abundant life of love and service found in the transforming person and work of Jesus. If you've been encouraged by this podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, or subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, check us out at libertymainline.org.